I'm Sinead Kyo and welcome back to another edition of Scoreline Extra. If you missed any of our sporting coverage or interviews over the weekend, fret not because this podcast has you sorted. On this week's edition of Scoreline Extra, you can listen back to interviews with new Kilkenny Camogie captain Aoife Prendergast. We also spoke to Teresa Aylward, who is the new Kilkenny Camogie chairperson. We also have Willie Coogan on Mooncoin's Leinster victory. Davy Jones on all things fitness and PL Kern on all things athletics. We also had a chat with Chris Nolan of Mount Leinster Rangers, Aero Oaks footballer Jordan Morrissey, as well as head coach of Carlo Rugby Corey Carty, Tolo Rugby head coach Morris Logue, Kilkenny Tennis Club's Shirley Trimble gives her take on the Novak Djokovic debacle. And we'll also hear from Pat Kyo, Carlo GAA referee. And finally, we had a chat with Carlo Kilkenny under 17 manager Fran Egan. First up, though, we spoke to Aoife Prendergast about becoming Kilkenny's newest captain. It's definitely a great honour. Um, it's a great honour to play for Kilkenny, never mind captain them, so I was delighted to hear the news. And uh, when did you hear the, the actual news? How, how like, were do you just absolutely um, overblown with excitement when, once you heard it? What's that conversation like? Yeah, Brian Brian um, contacted me there a few weeks ago and informed me about it and then it was released there the other day and got a few nice messages and stuff from people and obviously I was over the moon, over the moon delighted to represent my club and um, hopefully we get some success this year. And speaking of success, you know, obviously it must be on your mind climbing the steps of the Hogan stand on all Ireland final day, lifting that O'Duffy Cup. Like, does it, does being a captain, I know you're you're going to be looked at as uh, as a kind of, a, you know, a senior figure there and people that other people can come to, but does it give you a, your own personal added motivation now coming in to the upcoming season? Or I, I expect that motivation was always there, but now with the added responsibility, you're going to ha- kind of have to channel that extra pressure into motivation, I assume. Oh yeah, it definitely does. Um, sure, at the start of the year, we all have our own targets, our own individual goals that we want to meet. But at the end of the day, we're a team, and we all strive to be uh, climbing those Hogan stands. And hopefully, I'll be um, one of the first players to lift the cup that day. So, um, no, it does. You you definitely have added pressure and stuff like that. But again, just turn that into motivation and. We're a team at the end of the day. When you step into an intra-county setup, there's so many leaders on the field. So that takes off that bit of pressure. So everyone kind of buys into it. And of course, great. being captain now, you're obviously going to have added media responsibilities as well. So thanks very much for chatting to us uh, today. Yeah, no but do, do you feel as though that added responsibility as captain and how important it is to not just have one leader, but as you mentioned, to have a bunch of experienced players there who create a leadership group for the younger members of the squad. We've seen like how uh, well Kilkenny Kamogi have done last season from the under-16s to the minors to the intermediates. You know, do, do do you feel that now you and the other experienced players are going to be looked at as as these central figures for people to be able to replicate as they're coming up through the ranks? Yeah, I think definitely as you're coming up through the ranks, and um, they do look up to the senior players and stuff like that. But when I stepped into the senior setup two years ago, um, I felt even the girls that were younger than me that were already in there, they were already leaders on the pitch and stuff like that, and even just uh, drove things on. Like they weren't sitting back waiting for the older players to to lead the way, which was great. And I feel like um, there's a good sense of community within the Kilkenny camp that um, all the girls do take that bit of leadership on board and 
try to um, drive on like again the younger girls through their clubs um, that are coming off the ranks which is which is good yeah and obviously because of the tremendous season that you've had with your club you know uh, you, you won the county championship with Borough uh, going yeah. to that moment how special was that not just for you but for the entire club yeah it was absolutely incredible um <laughs> Uh, it's hard to put into words, but um, no, it was a great, it was a great feeling. And again, like we do have a very young team, and um, I'd actually be the third oldest on on our Dixborough team um, at the age of 25. So um, it shows how young our team is. But I felt the younger girls did step up, and um, like thank God we do have the the youth coming through because they're driving on the older girls. We're all fighting for places within within um, training sessions and coming up to match days. Um, but to get over the line on that county final day was a dream come true. And getting to represent my club and lift that cup in front of all our supporters was great. Like I, I We were in here on the day when uh, that, that county final was going on, so we didn't get to, yeah. to view it, of course. But I've seen some of the players in action, especially in different disciplines. I've seen Amy Clifford uh, play for New Park. She was uh, scored two goals in the inaugural scoreline.ie Shield. And I could just see that kind of mentality that was instilled in her that was a small bit different than the other players that drive to, to, to want to win to get onto the next ball and that's in a soccer sense I can only imagine in uh, in a camogie sense how that kind of reverberates throughout the whole squad Yeah, that's it exactly um, they're an absolute incredible bunch of girls and um, I'm so delighted that they're my teammates and like even during lockdown and stuff like that we were doing um, Zoom sessions and all and everyone bought into that and you could see the drive of everyone when we did get to go back on the pitch everyone was just so happy to be, to be there and again like we, we all don't have the best days some some days uh, we mightn't perform as well but we know that the girl beside us will pick us up and, and drive things on for us which is um, it's great to have in, in the camp and it's, again those younger girls um, I probably learn from the older girls and hopefully that's driving them on. And the final, of course, was filled with a lot of drama. Incredibly close game. A 15 points to 2-8 victory against Pilltown. Uh, a one-point victory. It, it, I don't know, like because we've seen like the likes of Shamrocks just run right on Clock Balacolla there recently and Moonkine, of course, did the same almost today against uh, Shamrocks of Offaly. But there's something about winning when it's so tight that kind of makes it all that bit sweeter, I'd imagine. Now, you're probably going to be quite diplomatic in your answer and just say, as it wins at win, it doesn't really matter. But obviously, winning by one point uh, is it, it kind of adds to the occasion yeah it definitely does when that final whistle goes um, you're just waiting for it to go so when it does go it makes it that bit more exciting um, but Piltown were a great team and sure we, we didn't know what they were going to pull out next so we just had to keep biting away and we were lucky on the day to come out as one point winners um, and again yeah it was that bit, bit more special I suppose and uh, just back to the county aspects, it's probably a silly question to ask someone that's playing senior for Kilkenny, but what are the aims for next season? Because, of course, ultimately there was disappointment in last year's semi-final defeat to Cork. It's not, I would imagine, to do one better. It's to replicate the success of 2020. That's it, exactly. We want to be in Crow Park on All-Ireland Day and uh, climbing up the, the Hogan stand to lift that cup. Um, that's our overall team goal and... Um, yeah, we were delighted to win the league last year, but um, 
the All Ireland final. Um, winning that is the ultimate aim at the start of every year, and um, hopefully we can bottle up our our disappointed that disappointment that we did have last year. Um, I feel it. it um, all the girls kind of took from that and just said that we need to drive on this year and um, hopefully we reach that aim. A lot of uh, the the squad from the All-Ireland winning team in 2020 is still about Um, of course having those tremendous days in Crow Park obviously adds an extra incentive but there's something about like uh, when we were talking to Richie Power like he was saying that he can remember just losing to Tipperary as they were in in the All-Ireland final he can't really remember the victories he can just remember the feeling of disappointment uh, which is a tremendous shame but of course it's just a human natural kind of uh, experience so do you think the motivating factor now for Kilkenny Komogi is to replicate the success of 2020 or is it to make sure that what happened against Cork in the semi-final doesn't happen again what's the driving factor now? No, it's definitely to replicate um, 2020 and um, win that that All-Ireland and bring it back to Kilkenny. But um, look, we'll learn from last year. We'll learn from what happened. Um, I was lucky enough to uh, be brought on to the, the uh, Kilkenny senior panel in 2020 when we did win the All-Ireland. And believe me, I do not want to be in the same Crow Park dress room as I was in last year versus what is in in 2020 and um, no our overall aim is is to replicate that success definitely and uh, replicating that success with the person who kind of led you to that success also Brian Dowling of course remaining as manager how important of a factor is that for the players because from the outside there seems to be a really special bond between the players and the management setup over the last two years not to say that wasn't there before but obviously after the successive final defeats and the heartbreak of that um, to kind of kick it off on a win and go on from there there seems to be that special bond between the players and the management yeah, there is. There's a great bond within the camp. Um, everyone's totally open and the lads drive on day in, day out. They're always, I'd say, they're, they're constantly on the phone to each other organising stuff for us. And whatever we ask for, they they try give it to us. And um, no, they're a very special uh, group of management and we're so lucky to have them. And speaking of whatever you ask for, just before we let you go, Aoife, when we spoke yeah. to Denise Gall there um, uh, just a few months ago, um, she talked about the per, uh, the kind of equality between uh, Hurling and Kabogie not quite being there and strides have been made over the past while and we've kind yeah. of uh, exposed the virtues of the likes of uh, 2020 supposedly meant to be the year in sport. It ultimately turned out that 2021 was a great year for women in sport. How do you feel now being so ingrained within the game that that, uh, you know, Komogi is starting to come somewhat in the eyes of people on a level playing field, if not in some cases exceeding uh, Hurling. Yeah, no, I, I, I do think there has been a, a huge improvement. And again, just going back to our own management team, they do try to get us whatever we want. And uh, we're very grateful for this. Um, like, it probably doesn't always work out, but um, they try their best or whatever. And I think it has come on leaps and bounds since in the last few years, uh, which we are very grateful for. But uh, hopefully we can keep driving that on and do get to um, an equal playing field. 
Moonkind defeated Shamrock straight, fresh off the pitch. What we'll be asking Aoife to do uh, when she comes fresh off the pitch as well. Giving an interview to Brendan Hennessy. Stick around here on Scoreline. Next up, we spoke to Teresa Aylward, who is Kilkenny Mogi's newest chairperson. Absolutely, Shane. Yeah, no, it is a proud moment for myself and for the family and the club and everything else. Yeah, it's probably something I never actually thought I would, would do. But here we are, circumstances have it. Yeah, I'm glad to take it on and glad to take on the challenge and looking forward to it. As you say, she is our previous chairperson. Hard shoes to fill, but look, we'll, we'll give it a go and give it our best shot. Yeah, and it's been it's been such a... a like I, I know that out of, say, the four kind of possible All-Ireland finals that we could have had uh, last year, one semi-final, three All-Ireland finals, then coming away with one All-Ireland Ireland victory. You're coming into a, a very competitive uh, Kilkenny Camogie side through all different yeah. disciplines and different ages. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And look at me, we always set standards high in Kilkenny, and we always hope to be there in the mix there, thereabouts at the end of the season. And uh, you look at any other county would consider it a, a, a really good season last year. We're delighted for our minors to come away with the All Ireland title. Um, like it was 2015 since it was last one. And from for Mike Wall personally, it was a great achievement. For Mike was the manager back then in 2015 when it was, was last one. So look at for him in particular it was great to bring it back again um, last year. So yeah, and, and they're actually back out in just now what on the 6th of February back out defending their title um, against Washford. So time has been long passing around when we come to take on the new year again. Um, and seriously, yeah, look, the likes of our, our intermediates that are under 16s, great achievement also to get to the All Ireland finals. Poor under 16s, really picked by two points. But listen, great players, our intermediates are a particularly young team as well, and a great achievement for, for, for Bill and John Scott and um, to take those on. And you know, and Seamus Kelly for the under 16s. Our seniors, yeah, look, at, had a fantastic season as well. You can look on, on the back of the All Ireland. Ireland last year winning that coming in fantastic campaign in the league winning that and again to be picked by one point in the semi-final is cruel on the girls and you know they'll be coming back next year hoping to, to go one step further again and get back into the Ireland final it, it's, it's always our aim in Kilkenny Camogie to, to aim high and hopefully to be there in the mix at the end Yeah we were talking to Aoife Prendergast there yesterday a new Kilkenny yeah. Camogie captain and she was just saying um, you know Brian Dowling once again being ratified as uh, the Kilkenny yeah. Camogie manager after such a great 2020 and then yeah. getting to the semi-final as well there seems to be this real camaraderie that is shared within the side but it also seems to kind of resonate and reverberate throughout the whole community that follow Kilkenny Kamogi. Absolutely, yeah. No, and I mean the squads, the intermediate and, and the senior squads. I mean they're playing together at the moment. I mean there's great camaraderie across the board, and the girls are. Brian is, is, has taken on his own style of management, and the girls have responded well to it. And likewise with John Scott and the intermediate. I mean everybody's anybody who can contribute to the game, uh, you know, super. And uh, no, the girls are all responding really well, and the boys are getting on grand. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, uh, yeah, we'll have another good year ahead of us. Uh, speaking of the year ahead, we know, like from an on the pitch perspective, that the goal is always to win an All Ireland if you're yeah. in a Kilkenny jersey. But for behind the scenes and and the committee, what is the goal for for the committee, and what are the biggest issues that you find that you will face coming into the role? Biggest issues we have. Actually, look at we have a new committee come on board. Not a new committee, but we certainly have a new a new uh, mix up this year in respect that we have our new secretaries come on board. Teresa husband from Bar Rangers, our new treasurer for um, Cooney down from Munkoin, and our new registrar is uh, Paula Dowling from, from St Lactans, and Martin Creedy has moved into the PRO role. So uh, the committee ourselves, it's just for some of the new members who get a chance to get settled in and to get the feel of what they have to do in, the, in their jobs. That's always a new challenge for anybody coming on board, but. Um, 
um, but then you know there's always a challenge of um, just keeping oh COVID is a huge challenge at the moment don't you know but I'm um, trying to keep girls keep girls safe and fit and um, yeah it's just, just trying to keep things going as normal to be honest you know yeah you're, you're not looking to make any radical changes or anything like that <laughs> We'll find our feet for uh, Shane and then we'll, we'll see how we get on. Just you know, there's no radical changes coming forward. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Um, uh, kind of getting away from the inter-county scene, how healthy of a position mm. do you feel the club scene is in Kilkenny at both adult and underage levels? Yeah, we're getting there. No, we're getting there. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a development plan in place as well to try and help our clubs as well on board. The, the split season coming forward, hopefully now, will we'll, um, we'll help the clubs out and have a more definite season ahead. The, the All-Ireland, I know, is now fixed for the, the 7th of August. Ideally, we'd have loved to have it fixed for the um, for maybe the end of July to get to give clubs some more chance. Um, but, you know, we do have we have gained at least three, four weeks there in, in club fixtures for, for the girls. So, look at... Uh, yeah, I mean... We had fantastic finals last year. I mean, the, the junior, the intermediate, and senior finals were all fantastic games. And I mean, just, just by virtue of the attendance and, and the atmosphere at all the games, the support was fantastic for the players. And delighted for, for all the winning teams, Munkai and Barra Rangers, Dixborough, who, who, the, the two teams there are going on next weekend to compete in, in the Sub Leinster Championships. So we wish them the best of luck. Barra Rangers are actually taking on cameras down in cameras next Saturday. And we have Dixborough taking on St. Jude's from Dublin in, in Dixborough on Sunday. So in so look at we're hoping for two very competitive games there and the girls are flying it and they're training hard and no doubt they'll do their best to represent their, their clubs yeah we should have live coverage of the Dixborough and St Jude's game as well here on KCLR uh, next week have you found the coverage of Camogie uh, from the uh, has been kind of increased not just say from yeah. our level but from like a national level as well there seems to be uh, yeah, a lot yeah, of spotlight no, on it yeah yeah, yeah no, I, mean, I mean the whole 2020 um, you know vision thing it did actually help uh, promote the game more. Uh, we would have, compl- I mean, COVID, God, while it was awful, in, in a sense, it, it gave us the opportunity really to, to live stream our games. And I, I think it definitely brought it to a wider audience and there's a wider interest there. Um, you know, but Jerry Carl tried to start out our fixtures, and fairness to him, he did a fantastic job. I mean, in a normal year where we'd have had players say away on holidays, Irish college. The electric picnic fixtures would be a nightmare, but <laughs> thankfully, I would say this this time round, everybody was around, everybody was home. Girls were available for matches, clubs could fulfil fixtures. You know what I mean? So as bad as COVID was, it gave us the opportunity to really focus on, on the games and the competitions and players who were around. And uh, so hopefully, COVID. Well, look at and it's huge for girls they need to get their electric picnics and get them their holidays. But um, it was just it, it did make fixtures a little bit easier at the end to fulfil them all. But um, yeah, but uh, look at going forward. We hopefully things will will improve this year. Uh, talking about say the underage structure, and we've had such success at the inter county level. From a club level, there was a lot of concern in regards to the impact of COVID, not just in Camogie but throughout the 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 kind of entire sporting community about the impact COVID would have on the development of people, and people might drop off then because you know games mightn't be going ahead or or different things yeah. like that, and different things happening in in their own life as well. And yeah. I know we've chatted, yeah. chatted to the likes of Hilda Breslin, who says you know there could be a drop off in age. Uh, particularly mm. in in Camogie when kind of mm. girls kind of d- take up different interests and stuff. Have you found that yes. uh, COVID yes. has uh, uh, kind of accelerated that or the effects? I, ha- actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Chain, I actually think it's actually because we couldn't travel and they've been around. I mean, for registration of our numbers last year actually increased over COVID in our in, in Kilkenny anyway. So certainly, um, and the development that's going on, you know, underage, 
it is there. Do you know what I mean? We're trying to, I mean, the, the coverage that you guys are giving us on, on KCLR and Carlicle Radio as well has been super. So the promotion of the game side has really, I think, helped keep the interest there and, and keep girls interested. And girls want to play and they do want to play. And it's a, it's a great team and everybody knows the benefits of Camogie and, and then the friendships they build and the bonds they build in, in, in teams and clubs. And, um, no, I, I actually, thankfully so far, I don't think COVID has had a negative effect on us. Uh, mentioning Hilda Breslin, um, she is yep. a massive proponent of some type of amalgamation. We see it with the one club rule happening, particularly mm. with Dixborough and stuff. We see it with the GPA yep. and stuff. Just from a Kilkenny chairperson perspective, what would your views on that be? Yeah, no, I would actually, yeah, I, I actually would support the, the one club, the one club setup. Um, I mean, really, as everybody knows, our clubs are made up. I understand, obviously, after the GEA owns all our pitches and everything else, but we've had super support from our GEA in regarding to, to pitch access and everything else. And I'm not sure if everybody really sees the divide that was there very years ago. Um, our clubs are made up of just more than our male counterparts. They're made up of the mammies, the girls, the other way. And it, it's the, the fundraising and everything is all coming from the one families. So, you know, I do think the one club is the way to go, personally. But I mean, it's up, the challenge for clubs is, is trying to get a structure in place and to, to get an agreement in place among themselves to make it work going forward. Yeah, and you could have seen it with Mooncoin as well at junior ranks uh, yeah. uh, last year, you know, being successful in Camogie yeah. and in, in hurling yeah. as well. It's just a, a tremendous feeling resonates around the whole community, it seems, yeah. when, when, yeah. when there's success on both sides. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, no, I would say something I would support. And, you know, and just really probably just takes executive commissions on both sides to sit down. And, and I know there's my man of understanding there at headquarters and, and, and that's going, and that's working its way down to the clubs. But certainly, uh, if clubs did sit down and have a good look at it, it, it would benefit both the hurling and the camogie. Certainly more manpower on board for everybody as well. And as I say, fundraising probably is the biggest problem. Um, and look at if everybody's aiming towards the one goal, you know, it should work out fine. And now we have Willie Coogan on Mooncoin's victory over Shamrocks of Offaly. Willie, well done. Uh, Leinster final. They're not easy one, and that was a tough battle today. Goals win matches. It was referred to on commentary and by your captain in his post-match speech, and uh, you got four that were important in the end. Yeah, we, we, we got four. We probably left two behind us as well. You know, clear-cut chances that we probably had there. So, I look at conditions this time of the year. Any goal that you can get is a big, big score. And to get four of them, like, Jesus, it's very, very hard when you don't when you, when you don't concede one the other end that you're in a good position, like, you know, before you start. Like, But I have to say that probably the 1-1 one, one directly after half-time was the real fill-up, the real kick. We, we, we kicked on and it allowed us to have that little bit of a gap between us. And, and Shamrock's kind of threw the kitchen sink at it and pushed further men forward. The other couple of little pockets of space came up. And, and scores that we weren't getting as easy in the, in the first half maybe you know the, those little chances came up a little bit easier in the second half Yeah you got 3-5 in the second half you had 1-8 scored in the first half yeah. so it was, it was a big return and yeah. to be fair to Shamrocks they scored 15 points and if you look back at the record I suppose it won a lot of Leinster finals It probably would have yeah and we'd we, we, we disappointed that a number of those scores came from freeze um, I think it's, a, it's an area that we'll have to work on um, I'd say maybe they got maybe 9-10 freeze possibly I'm not sure Yeah you but can see that 7 they got 7 from freeze seven, in the first half 7 from freeze in the first half yeah so like that was an area that we kind of addressed at half time and we were saying that you know that we can't afford to give away as many scoreable chances um, and just, just one or two tactical things I wouldn't necessarily say it's the hairdryer treatment but just a few tactical things in terms of you know they had the corner forward coming out around the middle third of the field and, and being available for sharp puckouts and that so we just tweaked a few things and, and just added a little bit of pressure there and I suppose the, the, the very first puckout the heat that we got the goal off of you know it, it was as a result of what we had said at half time and I suppose when, when that worked lads were more inclined to keep doing it like, and we just we put a little more of a squeeze on their puckouts and when they had to go along then our half back line probably took over a little bit more It's always hard Willie with the break Christmas 
business and I know there's been COVID in the camps and yeah. that it's not simple so the, the layoff is a bit but to win your first game and it being a Leinster final at the start of January it's a big relief for yourself but it's a great win for the club and now we can look to a fortnight's time I think it's Galway opposition it was at Salt Hill in, Salt the, in the semi-final Yeah, yeah. Uh, look at any game on the back of a break is always going to be hard you know like you don't know where lads are at physically and obviously that, that sharpness that you have from playing matches in the run through, through, through uh, the county championship and, and in Leinster up to the Tower Rocks game you know we felt our, our hurling sharpness was very very sharp in that game when, when it came to it like, but um, yeah but at the end of the day a break you have to have a break to try and freshen up a bit and, and I think in terms of COVID we were probably lucky that some of the cases came over the Christmas period when we were actually going to be off training anyway but then a few of them kicked off then, you know, when we were getting back in so from a, from a preparation point of view it wasn't ideal or anything like it but look at you, you couldn't fault any of the lads they put in a great shift regardless of whether they've had COVID or not um, and, and the subs as well so like when it comes to work rate hurlers are never found wanting on that, on that side of things and I suppose that's probably what created some of the chances for us that you know made the difference in the end really I mentioned the four goals today you've got a lot of goals in the Kilkenny Championship you've got a lot of goals in Leinster so far so in fairness any team scoring goals yeah. Willie is going to go well but you're now out of Leinster you're in a semi-final they're not easy one no all our semi-finals are never never easy one thankfully um, Jimmy has, has experience with Freshford and I have a bit of experience with myself as in playing days with Ballyhale like you know any semi-final that you go to an semi-final you're going to meet quality opposition especially when you meet the Connacht champions like you know so um, look at I'm sure Salty and Nakara will be looking at that game today and, and I'm sure there's plenty uh, things that they, that they see that they say that you know very very workmanlike in the first half but I suppose they also saw one of some of the better sides of us there in the second half as well and how potent we can be when things go right for us like so look conditions are very very hard out there so open open free flow and hurling wasn't necessarily the order of the day and like we, we have a lot of young chaps there so you know Chermont are probably a bit more seasoned and a bit more physical like so you know the conditions probably did play to their strengths a small bit and the ball wasn't moving around the field as quickly and, and as fluidly as we might like but you know at the end of the day when, when they did ch- chances did present ourselves we did some very very nice hurling to create some, some other chances that we didn't take as well so look at we're, we're, we're thankful we are where we are and, and we're sure that we have another two weeks of preparation that there's a lot of improvement there that we can find OK hat-trick for Patrick up front he, lim- he didn't limp off the end but he picked up a bit of knock but I take it he's OK Ah yeah it was more wrapping him in cotton wool at the end of the game and, and, <laughs> and, and, and letting, letting the crowd show their appreciation for him to be fair yeah. um, you know Pat, he could have got a fourth he could have got a fourth yeah he was a nookie uh, you I him off over that <laughs> <laughs> look at he's a fantastic player and a fantastic attitude you know and, and to be fair even in the early stages there where we were finding scores hard to come by he was you know he was very central to what we were doing there and anything that went into him he looked very very dangerous you know yeah he defended very well in the second half to went on to command and they're also on the goal I mean you really defended well you deprived them of no scores in play you really done well yeah look at and defensively we do pride ourselves on, on, on you know forcing the opposition to shoot from play like you know and, and make, making the chances as hard as possible um, like thankfully you know Owen came out for a very very important ball there and you know brought, brought it with him when he was coming um, yeah a couple of positional changes as well and look at I suppose their forwards condensed a bit more as they went chasing the game so it's probably a little bit easier to defend then when you have that but they were creating lovely pockets of space in front of Shane O'Toole in that first half and you know getting some very very good ball into him like so thankfully we addressed that uh, particularly at half time and, and from there on then we you know took control of the game Farnett prepare Willie and before I do let you go what's this about these Ballyhill managers you have Michael up against Henry tomorrow you have Willie guiding Moonkine to a Leinster title you're into a semi-final with Moonkine and Shamrocks are into a semi-final so there's a bit of a Ballyhill tag on this one as well and a big one in Galway tomorrow 
tomorrow Offaly and, and Galway so the lads are up against one another tomorrow as well Ah yeah look at Henry and, and Michael you know they've hurled at an elite level and they'll bring their own their own stamp to the two teams like I suppose they're coming from different standpoints in that Offaly are on an upward curve and, and, and Henry is trying to pick up Galway on the back of a, a probably a poor enough season last year by their standards so look at the, the two boys they leave no stone and turn but trying to get, get one over on each other up there I'm sure but um, I know look at Valley Hill stamp I suppose it's not necessarily and, and, and that we, we're doing different it's just a case of we bring our own ideas to it and I suppose we, we try and implement them and thankfully the players are what who's implementing on the field and, and, and thankfully the Munkine boys are doing well here Well well done today and well done to Jimmy Marwish as well Lee Mulch and Billy Quinn and yourself and congratulations we look forward to the semi-final I take it it'll probably be Tullamore will it? I'd imagine Tullamore or, or I think the, the Valley Hale game against St Thomas is, is, is in, in Thurless, like so it could be in that neck of the woods either like, we'll do somewhere around there anyway so hopefully look at You don't care you're in a semi-final We don't know and hopefully the weather might, you know, might, might be a bit kinder than it has been there's been a lot of rain over the last while and it's very hard for pitches even regardless oh. how well it's very hard for them to hold up even, even in terms of how much traffic has been on them like you know once you go onto a wet pitch it'll cut up quite easily like so hopefully we'll, we'll get a fresh sod and we'll, we'll go at it again Willie well done today good to talk to you and well done Munkine thanks very much good man well done in this next interview you're going to hear from Mount Leinster Rangers Chris Nolan Yeah, you know, it's exciting times now. It's, uh, we've had a long break since probably last May or June or whatever. It's finished the tomorrow, so it's a start of the new season again come next Sunday, and uh, we're very excited to kick start the campaign. And what is the main aim for the uh, team this year? Is it simply try and win the Joe McDonough Cup, or what's the story? Yeah, we'll probably we'll go and take it you know, game for game, and uh, you know, the competitions we're in, we're going to the league and the Joe McDonough Cup, we're going to give them one head of a rattle and hope that we can get success in both of them. But we're not going to look that far ahead yet. We're, we're just going to take it game by game or training session by training session. And uh, that's that. And next Sunday, in the Joe Cup against Kildare, we'll, we won't look past that game even. And uh, I hope we can, um, hope we can be successful in both. And do you think uh, there's a bit more kind of pressure on, on Tom now this year, considering it's his second season in charge? Um, no, I wouldn't think there's pressure on the management or Tommy. Uh, but first of all, it comes from management and the players themselves. We're we're very player driven ourselves, so we wouldn't look at it as a pressure on on the management or us. We're just going to enjoy enjoy going training and enjoy playing matches, and uh, hope that we can bond together, click on the pitch, and um, hopefully we can have a successful year ahead. And uh, we're kind of coming off now. It's a, it's a good while away now. It seems an age ago at this stage, but uh, with the club, it was another great year. You won the county championship against St Mullins. How win- how special was it to, to win the club, win with the club, and then play alongside your brother, of course. Yeah, it's special. It's special every year, Joey. Especially when you win the county final and you're winning it with friends and you're winning it with family, like Georgia. It's the first community spirit around the around the club and everything, and it, it was special, you know, COVID and everything for everybody in the community, the fans, even just to have the, the supporters in the in the Oxford Park that day was absolutely brilliant because we won it the year before and there was no supporters we couldn't share with uh, with the people who were Balamossi and Hannah. So this year it was brilliant to have them to have them back in the grounds and you know share with the brothers and the family. It was absolutely it was very special for all of us that day and. Uh, so I in Ballyhale then and it just didn't work out. It was this probably ended a bit disappointing where it ended, but when it was the last six weeks that we had off, it was obviously it was a special year for the club. 
Uh, yeah, speaking of that kind of uh, the, the disappointment of the Leinster defeat, the Ballyhale Shamrocks, you know, there was a that second half period though was quite incredible, and you know, only for a few things didn't go your way on the day. Like it could have been ye that was progressing along. Yeah, we we probably got off to a, we got off to a slow start that day, and we left ourselves. I don't know the second half, but uh, we did you know, we fought fought hard. We probably left ourselves maybe two or three points, two or three points more. Down and we probably should have had a half time that it was probably a little bit too much to call back but we could have caught it back and we missed a few chances in the second half and it was very interesting but um, it was disappointing that day and it took a while to get over but so we just have to get up and go again now with the county yeah, does it hurt though more because like you did come very close and like there must be a real appetite there to have a run in Leinster similar to what you've experienced before yeah, Um, from a personal point of view yourself you made the Joe McDonough team of the year yet again an incredible achievement but there wasn't a, an awful lot of coverage given to it on the night of the All-Stars no yeah, no I was expecting you know, that happened last year as well but it's just kind of just the way it is isn't it involved, so. yeah well uh, congratulations once again we're looking forward to seeing what the, the, the season holds uh, for you against Kildare you must be chomping at the bit to get out because there was such a kind of gap between the, the, the county final and then the Leinster game against Ballyhale and now what you'll be looking at nearly two months at this stage before you're getting to come back out and onto the pitch and play a bit of hurling as well yeah, you know, there's a gap there after a county final, I think of ten weeks ago before the Leinster match on Bally Hill and then I think since then it's been two months maybe. Two months of um just rest and then kinda getting the hunger back for it again and there's a lot of hunger there now again and we can't wait to kick back a season next Sunday against Kildare and we hope that it's going to be a successful one and more successful than last year hopefully. Next up, we heard from Era Oaks footballer Jordan Morrissey. Yeah, lads are excited and back on the pitch and given everything that's going on at the minute, there's a bit of uncertainty around a lot of things and, and sport included. So I think there's just a nice buzz and lads are, I suppose, grateful and excited to be getting back out there and, and doing something that we all enjoy and hopefully. Hopefully we'll get a bit of a following and people will enjoy it too. So I suppose that's kind of feeling at the minute and it's nice to be starting off another season. Yeah, it wasn't exactly a long break for yourself when you consider the, the, the club season as well. But for an inter-county player, how do you view these pre-season competitions? Um, is it more about performance and fitness than results or are you still kind of carrying over whatever fitness you had from the club season? Uh, I suppose it's... It's very useful for a lot of teams uh, coming with new players and things like that. It's a good opportunity to, to see who you have. And I suppose, especially for ourselves this year, we've had quite a high turnover. So I suppose that's probably where we're coming at it from. There's a lot of new players, um, and especially sports for other counties. A lot of counties are the same. Just given the nature of inter-county football, there does be, there does be quite, a, quite a high turnover of bodies. So that's one thing. It can be difficult for, for some lads like myself that are trying to juggle that and, and Sigerson football. Um, it can be a bit of a cramped calendar. Uh, so Sigerson is starting, starting next week as well. Um, so 
suppose it's about managing your time well and managing the games and the workload because I suppose the main thing is that you want to be you want to be on the pitch playing. So I suppose that can be can be challenging at the best of times. But I suppose it's a nice complaint to have. Yeah, we were talking yesterday about the kind of congested fixture list with the Sigerson Cup and the demands that's going to be on players like yourself from an in- that are playing inter-county and that are playing for their club and then playing, of course, for their college. It is a quite uh, demanding kind of schedule for yourself, but are you looking forward, say, to the Sigerson, irrespective of the the maybe kind of lethargic feeling that you might be having? I absolutely. It's a great competition and obviously I have very fun memories of it as well. And... Um, I just, just really enjoy it. It's nice to meet so many new people, and and it's a quite a short time frame that it's I suppose it's squared into. So you, you don't have too too long. I suppose you don't have a big long pre-season to get prepared. So I suppose whoever can kind of gel the quickest and get their squad together and kind of build that bit of morale and camaraderie, it tends to be the ones that that go the longest uh, in the competition. So yeah, it's a great competition, and it's it's always high quality football played at a very fast pace. So. I'm looking forward to it same as most people I'd imagine Yeah you have your first round, uh, round away game in the Sigerson Cup against Maynooth University uh, are you expecting a difficult challenge there? Yeah I'd say it will be difficult um, I didn't I didn't play against Maynooth in the league but I know ourselves we played them uh, it could have been in the last group game or a quarter final game and it was quite tight and that was played in Maynooth as well so I'd imagine it would be much the same and there's never really any easy games in, in the Sigerson just just given the nature of the competition, until until you actually walk out on the field, you don't really know who's going to be talked out. Uh, for, especially for other teams, obviously you know how your own camp is going, but there can be a, a few phases that might pop up that you mightn't been expecting. To. So I suppose it's going to be a difficult challenge, and I'm sure they'll be well organised and well set up. So no, I'm looking forward to the game. Um, we know that Carlo IT did very well in the Fitzgibbon and the Sigerson in previous years, especially now considering that the finals are going to be held in the Carlo IT's campus. Uh, they definitely have an aim to go on and possibly win the Sigerson and the Fitzgibbon. Uh, what's DCU's aim now going into it? Is it to go in and win or is it to make a good account to yourself? Ah, no, I'd say I think anybody who's in these competitions uh, that your, your, your goal, your ultimate goal is obviously always to win, but you can't really get ahead of yourselves. You have to take it game by game because I suppose everybody's in the same boat like you're going into these these kind of competitions which your ultimate goal is to is to go on and win it especially coming from a college like DCU uh, the, the aspirations are always quite high um, so I suppose it's just just getting getting the team together and taking it one game at a time and hopefully hopefully coming towards towards the end of the championship that we'll still be involved and once you get to your quarter final semi final final stage it's, it's all to play for then everybody's as a common goal. And you've tasted success with DCU before. You were part of the team that won the Ring Cup. Uh, it was 16 points to 1-7 against NUIG earlier uh, in the season. How special was that to win with the, or win that with the college? And is that kind of like a, a, a factor, a motivating factor in moving on and going and having more success? I suppose it just gives us an indication that we do have the players are there. But... Uh, as you know yourself, league and championship competitions can be can be very different. But it's great to have uh, it's great to have played a couple of games together, and I'm sure it'll help us going into it. But I wouldn't really too much into it. Uh, championships can be a bit of a different beast. But I suppose it's nice to to be successful and, and share that with a couple of the guys as well. And it's always nice to to win for your college. Um, so yeah, that was a great experience and something that I cherish. 
And, and, and talking about the differences in, in, in league and in championship, from a Carlo perspective, ultimately it ended up being a bit of a disappointing season last year with no promotion or run into the championship. It, it, coming into this campaign now, is the league the priority for the panel this year? Are you looking further ahead to the championship? I know when we spoke to Niall Carew before, he said he'd, he'd probably always uh, put the championship up on a pedestal as opposed to whatever happens in the league. Has that changed at all? Uh, I don't know. I'd say from a personal point of view, especially over the last few years of Carlo, like I think one of the fondest memories that I have personally is the year we got promoted. Um, and I think it's a massive thing for the county to develop, uh, I suppose, as a whole, like the higher standard of division you're playing in, I suppose, the better quality opposition you're playing against. And I think that's how you develop as a, as a county uh, and as an individual, like players, if you're playing against better opposition, you're, you're just naturally going to, I suppose, develop more. So I think that's, I think that's a massive goal for us, is obviously to try to get promoted and then... Obviously, anything that happens in the championship is a massive bonus as well. Like, but once the championship comes around and the league is over with, that's where your focus becomes, and then that becomes, I suppose, the bigger, uh, the bigger picture, and that's what you're you're really looking forward to. So, I think just, I think the time of the year depends, or is very kind of influential on what you view as the most important competition. So, at the minute, for me, I'm just completely league. Um, it's the third season now under Niall. Uh, there's been an obvious change in the style of play, uh, maybe a bit more expansive or trying to be a bit more expansive than Turlow's time in charge. Uh, how crucial is it now that the players kind of repay that work by getting the results now and, and, and everything kind of starting to click together in this third season? Yeah, well, I suppose that's just the nature of sport. Like, that's very, at that level of sport, everything is results-driven and at the end of the day, you want to get results. And I know we played some very good football last year and so hopefully we can carry on that and uh, but at the end of the day we want to be getting the results and that'll be the ultimate goal so hopefully that'll come come to light on the pitch and, and some retirements as well this year we spoke a bit about it yesterday Shane Redmond Paul Broderick Paul Broderick's goal scoring abilities you know are second to none um, have you fe- felt like that, that within the squad there's adequate replacements to be able to step up and kind of have a career in the same sense that the two lads did yeah, hopefully. Like I suppose that's why that's what your goal will be and I'm sure there'll be a lot of lads that'll that'll be viewing the and to hoping to take an opportunity to get in there and take those places and there'll be quite a bit I suppose a different dynamic about the place because there has been those few retirements. So there will be new new faces on the pitch I'd imagine uh, but hopefully that'll just add to everything that's going forward and I'll give that extra hunger that people are really want to impress and, and do well for their county. And uh, kind of just before we go, you know, we'd be remiss of me not to ask you from your club perspective, ultimately uh, getting to the county final against Rafidi. It was a great game. Uh, was it a tough one for you considering you were going for five in a row? And does that kind of give you impetus going ahead, making sure that Rafidi or anybody else doesn't get a kind of a foothold in uh, Carroll football? Yeah, obviously it was, it was very disappointing for me. I suppose all of, all of us at Aerog and... Well, it's just the neutral sport. I feel you with a better team on the day, and that's what you just have to. You have to just kind of have always taken into account and try make sure you're coming back in a better place and a better mindset next year. And obviously, our goal next year will be try to win back the county championship, and that'll that'll be. Uh, I suppose that'll be our kind of our motivation and our kind of prime focus. I suppose going into the next club season. And and Joe Murphy obviously left. How special of a period have the last number of years been under Joe with the club being just so successful? Ah yeah, look sure it's been great. Wayne County Championships is very enjoyable. Uh 
it's great to do it with the, the kind of your friends and things like that there the players that you're playing with is very important and it's, it's very special to do so with your friends and for your community and your family so I think we're successful with you, the people you grew up with is great and it's a great feeling so hopefully we can get back there again well, uh, best of luck. We're looking forward to to everything kind of uh, kicking off from our perspective. Hopefully, uh, you know, as someone who plays for a college club and county, uh, that you don't end up burnt out or anything like that. And we've been waxing lyrical about it here on Scoreline, just how that can certainly happen to players that are playing at, at your level. So hopefully you have an enjoyable season, a successful one. We'll be following the journey along. Jordan, thanks ever so much for talking to us today. Shane also had a chat with Corey Carty over the weekend, Carlo's rugby head coach. Like I am disappointed, but fully understand as well. Um, obviously, it goes without saying it's for the for the safety of players and, and players' families as well. So I fully understand that. It's I suppose where it's frustrating and uh, it's easy to be disappointed is the planning that's involved and. I suppose you're trying to get lads prepped and ready for game time. And the last two weeks we've been prepping for Clondalkin, and you know now it's a completely different game plan now if we're to play Wicklow next week. So it's you know it's it's a struggle, but you know there's not much you can do about you know. Yeah, and how difficult is it then if you're if you're talking about your next game then against Wicklow if that is going to go ahead how difficult is it to actually plan and you're investing your time in kind of the in uncertain times because you're expecting games to go ahead but maybe there's a bit of you that are kind of a bit apprehensive about it so when you're training players for these games and stuff there there's obviously a bit of doubt in your mind that they're going ahead or, or that they're not going ahead but do you just train as if they are? I, I think the only way to keep yourself sane and everyone else to stay sane is to just take the next game so our focus now is Wicklow and until we're told diff- uh, otherwise it's Wicklow 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 so uh, I suppose the difficulty then is you know getting lads reps and training who are in who's out um, like at the minute it's like a Murray go around at the minute of lads coming in and out with close contacts not close contacts um, but it is positive like we, we trained last night we had 27 to train and I was driving up the road and I genuinely had no clue who was going to rock up. You know, I had kind of in the ballpark figure maybe 12, 15 lads and I was flabbergasted when there was 27 there. So that's great news, like, you know. Yeah, because I was just going to ask, have you seen maybe a bit of a drop-off because of the uncertainty? Or players, well, you've probably answered it there, players seem as committed as they would be in normal times because it is hard for some players to give up time for something that may not actually go ahead. So to hear that 27 lads are there, the commitment is obviously still uh, within the club. Yeah, like we're very blessed. Like we've got massive numbers. Um, like we had to send in something to Leinster the other day, just kind of idea of percentage of who was affected by COVID and, um, like ballpark figure, we've around forty, forty-five lads now. Like they're never going to be all fixed. They're never not going to be all available. But we've around forty, forty-five lads. So we trained last night twenty-seven. Tuesday there was. 21 I think and the Wednesday before that I think there was 24 so like we're seeing good numbers but the same lads aren't at every single training session and that's not down to, to COVID there's general life that gets in the way there as well like I can't get a babysitter or I have to work nights this week or you know there's other things that come into play as well you get me? Yeah, certainly. And uh, you kind of, when you're talking about good numbers, you know, Ireland have recently received bad numbers in the record number of cases today. Do you think there's going to be too many cases for games to go ahead 
going forward are, like is the league in in serious doubt here um like because it's incredibly difficult to be able to guess but what would your perspective and your take on it be yeah i i don't know about the league i know like I, i'd be in favor of just pushing everything out like as long as we finish everything you know um that would be okay with me and with the rest of the players as well I think the problem is not necessarily filling the games but the quality that you have in the games as well like we're very lucky like I said with the numbers we have and we constantly have players pushing for positions but like other clubs like if they lost three or four key players for say 10 days or 14 days it's it's hard to keep track now how long you have to isolate but um you know they would they might lose a key game and that could be the difference between winning or getting relegated like you know of a league so it's very very tight in our league at the minute so those games are massively important like oh certainly and uh, like you know when you have maybe those two or three players that are missing and you have people trying to step up and you have people maybe overexerting themselves to, to, to prove a point but at the same time I've been involved in soccer for so long and you're missing guys due to GEA and of course due to COVID as well it can be disheartening from a managerial side of things where you're just like wait we have to get through this game but you're witnessing a performance that you're not accustomed to from your team due to whatever reason due to people not being there so from a managerial perspective and a coaching perspective has it been uh, disheartening for you? Uh, no, actually the opposite. Um, because like our our seconds are top of the league and they're absolutely flying it. Like so, like they're putting massive pressure on J one players and there's players constantly coming in and out. And like if a player on J one team dips in form, like for the first time since I've been in coaching Carlo, we've had position or we've had competition in every single position. So even when that key player does drop out, there's two lads sitting there waiting, ready to come in and get their opportunity. So I think that that probably comes down to the numbers we have and the success of our, of our J2s. So it isn't really an issue for us, but I could see how it is and would be an issue for other clubs among the province. Hey, when you take in the, the whole kind of pandemic era, which is now spanning on two years, how difficult has it been for the, the club in general? We know finance for every club can be quite difficult to, to get at the best of times, but over the past two years, how have the club coped with the added pressure of, of COVID and games not going ahead and different fundraisers possibly not being able to go ahead? Yeah, well, like, I can't really comment, I suppose, on the finance of the club, but I know, say, a big um, part of finance for the club would have been the disco in the in the in the clubhouse, and obviously that hasn't happened now for two years, and you know, say a dinner dance or something like that. So there's a lot of things that can't happen, but um, there's one thing for sure that hasn't dropped off is the the, uh, the volunteers in the club. And the attitude that they have, like, and I don't think the club would be where they are if it wasn't for those volunteers, um, because they really are the foundation of the club, and um, nothing would be done in the club without. And there's constantly work going in there. I think every Tuesday I come in, or every Friday night, there's something new in the club. I'm like, oh, who was doing that, or who's ever doing that? Like, yeah. There's just it's it's a beehive there of work constantly. Yeah, and volunteers are always the heartblood of, of every club. Um, looking at the season in itself, uh, you, you seem somewhat quite satisfied with how it's been going. Are, are you happy where, where you're finding yourselves? Yeah, like we're delighted to be honest with you. Like delighted and disappointed. So, like we've lost. I'm trying to think. We've lost three games within uh, one score. Two games within one score and one, I think, was in nine points or something like that. So one of them was a drop goal in the last play of the game against Wicklow. 
and another was up in Longford, but we got a losing bonus point. So when we are losing, we're losing very tight, which is positive because I think we have the best defensive record in the league. If I'm, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on that one. Um, so like, I think we are out punching a couple of clubs in in the in the league, but definitely this year more than ever, the league has really shown that any team can beat any team out. So the likes of Kildare beating Wicklow, uh, Mullingar beating us only there two or three weeks ago before Christmas. Um, it just goes to show, like Tullo um, in relegation fight there, like they were beaten with a penalty in the last play game against Wicklow. So it's an incredibly competitive league. And I suppose that goes back to what I was saying there a minute ago about, you know, if you're not at full strength, it you know, it could be difficult for a lot of clubs in that league, you know. Yeah, and like obviously recently celebrating a hundred or coming up to a hundred and fifty year anniversary, um, we know that kind of was outlined that winning the Towns Cup, gaining promotion uh, it, to Division One of the Leinster League are huge kind of things that are on the cards for Carlo in the future. But do, do you sense even with the sense of impending doom with fixtures being cancelled and stuff, do you feel that being at the grassroots level that things are on the up? Carlo is certainly rising. Oh, absolutely, hundred um, percent. Like some of the lads we've gotten up from the under 18s this year, um, really, really show. I suppose the great work that the coaches in the underage level and down to the mini level as well, the work that they've put in, so that when they come into the senior setup, like it's seamless. You know, um, there's no problem that they don't feel intimidated, they don't feel out of their depth, and jeez, I think. Our backline is one of the, like, well, bar a couple of lads, and I think if they're, if they're listening to me now, they'll know who I'm talking about. But, um, <laughs> uh, like, we're talking average age is probably low 20s. Wow. You know, of the team, it's brilliant, like. And it, it, there's a great history within within the club as well. Um, so continually to strive for something new, it, it's going to be quite interesting time for you. Uh, just kind of getting off the co- topic of Carlo Hurland, obviously someone that's ingrained within Hurland, uh, or not Hurland, uh, rugby. Uh, the Six Nations coming up uh, very, very soon. Uh, do you, we've had a lot of chats about it in here, about KCLR and about that victory over New Zealand for Ireland, how it can be used as a stepping stone. Some people just think it, was, it wasn't it was that uh, kind of impressive because ultimately they failed to uh, flatter in the big games. How do you feel the Six Nations are going to go for Ireland? I think we'll do well, yeah. Um, like, I've been, I've been watching a lot of the, uh, the URC games Um and I think the likes of um, your man Hume from Ulster, um, he's going to be putting some serious pressure on the likes of Gary Ringrose, Robbie Henshaw, these boys for positions. Like we're in a really, really good positive position, I think, this year. Um, the last couple of years I've gone into Six Nations, I've been looking at them going, how are they going to do? You know, and I've been pleasantly surprised or I've been disappointed, but I'm quite optimistic this year. Um, I think Wales, or not Wales, England are going, are going through a transitional period, so like you can see that they're building for the next World Cup, so you don't know, like, they, they could end up fifth again this year, or they could win it, you know, but it goes it goes without saying, like, you have, like, France and the team to beat. Like, they're just outrageous. The way they're playing rugby at the minute, it is a joy to watch, like, an absolute joy. Uh, but judging by your optimism there, are you impressed with Andy Farrell's reign so far? I can't remember the last time I've seen an Ireland team offload so much. Um 
I was in, I was in the Aviva for the Japan match. Oh, it was like it's a lovely brand of rugby to play. Now, don't get me wrong; that's nothing against say when Joe Schmidt was there because that was that was a winning style of rugby, um, and it was what Ireland needed at the time. But it's nice; it's refreshing. Like they're playing with waist. There's a lovely shape to it, and the players are playing rugby. It's fantastic. Like, um, and it's really enjoyable to watch them playing that way. You know, it's like, and I think it it's really good for the game of rugby as well. So that when someone flicks onto a game of rugby they're not seeing box kicks all day they're not seeing scrum after scrum they're seeing offloads they're seeing tries and they're seeing line breaks and that's how you're going to get more people to join the game as well uh, Speaking of uh, a style of play and uh, managerial things Johan van Grand stepping down from Munster at the end of the year joining Bath um, it seems that the likes of Paul O'Connell and Ron O'Gara both distancing them themselves from the role uh, just from an Irish rugby perspective it's great I think even as a Leinster fan it's great when Leinster and Munster are going head to head we talked about the Pro 14 final last year and Leinster coming away quite comfortable with that one but how do you see Munster going now forward who do you think that they're going to pick up uh, along the way to to look after the managerial reins I don't know um, I, I think one that's kind of um, left field now I don't know if it's something someone had just mentioned it to me there the other day kind of the likes of Felix Jones now I know he's a performance analyst and stuff like that but with South Africa and stuff but you know could he see himself transitioning into the kind of maybe a backs role or a forwards role or something like that you know um, but it, there's no there's no real standout I suppose this year um, with one of those with one of those coaches you could see potentially one of the England coaches coming across um, like I know there's a, um, there's a bit of drama in a couple of those leagues and stuff I know Pat Lamb is under a bit of pressure in Bristol and stuff but um, there's no real standout this year um, but obviously being a a, lo- a local coach in the South East it would be great to see Munster higher within so one of the higher coaches in Munster, say one of their elite player development officers or one of the current um, forward or back coaches getting a promotion up there, you know, because it's great. The same way that, say, a player, you know, under 15 or 16 can look up and go, geez, I have a chance of um, playing for Leinster or Ireland. The same thing for coaches where we can look up and go, and actually, geez, we might have a, actually have a chance if we just get our foot in the door somewhat, you know. Do you think uh, they might dip their toe back into uh, Declan Kidney? Uh, he's f- refused to kind of rule himself out of, of the role. He's you know overseen London Irish getting back into the Premiership as well, and you know tremendous success there. But do you think that he could dip his toe back in the Munster waters? It's hard to know. It is hard to know. I know London Irish are doing quite well. Um, there's two South East players over there at the minute, um, Killian Redmond and um, Mark Nicholson. They're over there, so. Um, it's good to see them over there getting some game time as well. Um, it's ha- it's hard to know though. It really is. Um, would you take it or would you be happy over there in, in uh, with London, like with London Irish? It's hard to know. We also heard from Tullow Rugby head coach Morris Logue. No, you're very welcome. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on. Uh, the last Thursday, some disappointing news indeed that came about that the yet again games are being postponed. How 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 hard was that for you to take, or is it understanding considering the climate we're currently in? Uh, I'll tell you the truth, Shane. It's, it's very understandable, and um, we would have been in a very difficult situation ourselves with the amount of you know COVID that we've had over Christmas and the close contacts. So yeah, I 
I think it's a it's a pretty sensible decision that was made by Leinster um, in relation to um, I suppose getting over the hump of this hopefully and resuming play later on in the in the season because we have so much time off with um, down weeks for the Six Nations and I suppose if teams were disciplined and organised themselves properly, you know we could actually go through without really disrupting the season at all. And do you think that the season is in danger of being totally kind of? Disrupted? Have you received any indication that it will? They're they're going to obviously endeavour to 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 finish it off, but with cases being so high and with fixtures being called off, it seems pretty uh, precarious at this stage. Um, I suppose it's it's ever evolving, so we're not sure. Um, I haven't heard anything. I'm, I look, you know, you know, you said you spoke to Corey there yesterday. Corey works in Leinster, so he probably would have more insight into that than I would. Um, but the general feeling from what we're hearing is that, you know, we, we don't at this present moment we're playing next weekend. That, you know, and we haven't been given any indication that we're not. Um, but you know, like you just said, with the escalating numbers, we don't know. We don't know, and we haven't really heard anything. Uh, speaking of numbers like the numbers of the squads uh, can be quite hard to keep going you might have some lads there one week and then they're ruled out for another two weeks the following week uh, how is it as a head coach how, is it, how have you been able to kind of manage that um, are you finding that you're having a quite inconsistent uh, players to be able to, to, to work with or are you finding consistency throughout the squad um, yeah no look we've been very inconsistent with, with personnel due to COVID and um, and close contacts also, I, I, we were in the unfortunate position that the Carlo Championship ran so late, and you obviously the GA came back when the rugby wasn't he wasn't there because our season hadn't kicked off, and guys then were playing. You know they were embedded in the in the championship and with their clubs, and they didn't want to leave. So you know, and then the the, the new championship ran more or less after the older last year's championship. So we didn't get some guys back till late November. So we've had a very disruptive season. Where I do know that, you know, Carlo have had a lot of guys training where we've been struggling maybe to put out a second team at the moment. Um, and it's this has never never happened in my time in in Tullow. It has just been you know over the COVID years we've really struggled, and that's just part and part of it. This pandemic I think and, and like issues outside of that as well I, I know last month you, you had quite a few issues um, in, in relation to injuries and, and, and things like that as well yeah no we we had a lot of injuries earlier on in the year uh, so I, I think that's not necessarily what we had a lot of injuries because our playing squad was small that were small so we were you know we were picking up little niggles and guys were playing through it and then they were escalating into bigger injuries and um yeah, it, it's just we we had one of those seasons that you kind of want to get over and maybe move into next year with more optimism, you know. Yeah, and you kind of touched upon it yourself. Then the difficulty of kind of operating throughout the, the the past two years. Just what kind of toll has it taken on on the club and the people that are volunteering their time to be part of a club that's uh, uh, that's in a climate that is so inconsistent? I know for myself playing. Uh, managing a team here in Kilkenny in terms of soccer it, it, it's, it, it can be kind of sli- slightly you know, disheartening the way the season can turn out because of players and stuff so how has the atmosphere been within, within Tullow? Um, the atmosphere has been okay. I mean, obviously, look, there's been tragedies associated with the COVID, which is no different than any other club or community you know, in, in the country. So I think from that 
from that side of it, it has, you know, it's had an effect. And, you know, obviously people, you know, in the first shutdowns were very isolated. And, um, you know, human beings by nature are very much kind of social people and they want to enjoy each other's company and that wasn't happening. So I, I think, you know, mentally it's had a huge effect on people throughout. And even I have young kids and, you know, even, I suppose, socially, you know, they stopped going to school and all all those social developments that they would have got from being in school around other people have had an effect. So to answer your question, of course it has. It's been no different than any other community and I, I think it's been tough on guys. It really has, you know, and, you know, the inconsistencies then, you know, with numbers and whether we were shut down, whether we were opening up, but a lot of that was going on with the rugby earlier in the year. You know, we didn't know whether we'd be, you know, getting back as early as we did get back. And, yeah, look, I... I think the shutdown then, there's a lot, like everything, a lot of rumours and, and, and then people are kind of wondering or second-guessing what's going to happen. So, yeah, look, it has had a huge mental bearing on people, you know, and their well-being. Uh, when we look kind of on the, the season as a whole, how how is it panned out for you? How are you finding it? Oh, look, we're, we're, we're like I said, we've had a very, very tough start. Um and we've had a poor season um, by nature of the squad we had and where we would have been in previous years. So we're second from bottom at the moment. We, we've been very, um, we've been very competitive because we have um, five losing bonus points, I think, or six losing bonus points, and we've won two games. So, I, I, yeah, I, I think going back to you know playing guys out of position because of of injuries and COVID or lack of football, lack of guys being available because of football has been very hard for us. And I think most seasons or most leagues are based on consistency and momentum. And, you know, we, we played Mullingar in the first game of the season. They were in the same boat as us. They were struggling. We, thank God we, we managed to win that game. And uh, we lost in the next couple of games. And then that momentum kind of gets taken away from you. And the other thing that we found out is we, we've lost a couple of games with one score in the last couple of minutes. And it's, you know, it's just that, that I, I suppose when you're losing you're always looking over your shoulder to see whether you can hold on and, and manifest a win and that kind of plays in guys in our game management hasn't been kind of you know where it should be um, and we, you know we we pretty you know we, we look we're hopefully we'll pick up a couple of wins now um, after Christmas and that will kind of get us safe in the division whereas if you said that to me earlier in the season that we would be kind of in a relegation scrap I, you know I wouldn't have believed it with the players we have it's just been you know unfortunate and that's the way it is yeah, I was just going to ask you what's the the plans now for the rest of this season. Obviously, you kind of alluded to it there. Uh, just uh, before we let you go, you kind of touched upon the Six Nations. We were chatting to Corey about it there yesterday, and we have a lot of discussions about it in here and on our Knock On Rugby podcast with Stephen Byrne and fellows from Tullow, Carlo and uh, Kilkenny Rugby Club. Um, what, what are your thoughts of uh, Ireland's chances heading into the Six Nations? Are you happy with what Andy Farrell's been able to achieve with the side so far, starting off kind of somewhat slow and then been able to kind of progress to that great victory over New Zealand are they going to be able to sustain a, a proper challenge this year I think they've you know they've advanced their game they've brought in more offloading uh, which is obviously more high risk but I think with high risk there is there is rewards in it and that has shown so I think their momentum has their momentum has been very good in the autumn international so you would think that it would set them up uh, quite nicely for the Six Nations um, and again look it's like any other competition, it's about momentum. They get a couple of wins earlier on, and all of a sudden they're fighting for a, fight, a, a Grand Slam or a Six Nations title. Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, look, they've unearthed some serious players as well. So I think they have a very, very good chance of, of you know, doing very, very well. And I mean, obviously, the biggest threats probably at the moment is England and France. 
Um, you know, they seem to be in a very good place as well. Uh, maybe England not so much, uh, uh, but definitely France have been, you know, very very progressive under the new coaching regime they have. And Sean Edwards coming in as a defensive coach has really solidified their defence and made them difficult to beat, which they haven't really had that mentality in previous seasons. So yeah, look, I think Andy Farrell has done a terrific job, and um, with obviously with again the nature of injuries and COVID, please God they can get everybody on the field that they need to and I think they'll be very, very competitive and in a, you know, in, in with a really realistic chance of winning that competition. Uh, what do you make of say the likes of Sexton and uh, Jack Conan? You, you know, they haven't played since November at all. They, they should be good to go, do you reckon? See, with the, with modern sport and modern rugby, uh, these guys, are, when they're training, they're training at match intensity. So, you know, bar maybe a couple of decisions going against them in, in terms of bad decision making their fitness levels will be pretty decent you know Johnny Sexton is very very experienced so I think you know he's probably the pivotal player for us at the moment so they keep him fit you know he's playing on top of his game I think Ireland are winning a really serious chance of, of doing very well now if he gets injured you know obviously Joy Carberry is injured some of the other guys are improving, you know. Um, Jack Carty picked up in a knock there. Um, I don't know how serious it was. So I, I, I think if they can get those guys through um, the next year or two, then obviously we could be in a better position. But at the moment, if we don't have Johnny Sexton, I think we're in trouble. Um, Jack Conan's slightly different at number eight. I think there's lots of alternatives around there, lots of good players that can play in the back row. Um, so I, I, that maybe it will be a disadvantage, but it won't be the same as losing Johnny Sexton, I would imagine. Morris, uh, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today. We're wishing nothing but the best for the rest of the season. Hopefully, we'll get more kind of uh, results on a consistent basis and, and, and uh, also get actual fixtures on a consistent basis. Uh, but best of luck for the rest of the season. Thanks for taking the time. Shane, thank you very much and happy new year to you. Same to you, sir. Morris Lowe, head coach of Tullow Rugby Club. We're going to take a quick outbreak there. When we come back, we'll have a bit of music as well from the wonderful and delightful Mr. Bruno Mars. Aye. The KCLR Job Spot with Jones Business Systems, Carlo and Kilkenny. Your local... Next up, one of Ireland's strongest men, Davy Jones. Yeah, definitely. People get very nervous about coming in and starting a program with ourselves or with anyone. Um, I suppose it's, it's that factor where you know you don't know what's going to be like. I was in that situation myself before. You don't know what's going to be ahead of you. You think it's going to be a bunch of big men throwing weights around or something like that. But it's uh, it's a million miles from that, and uh, all the personal training clients are there to do one job and and that's to get their goal. Um, I suppose a lot of people think just that they might not be able to do the personal training but the beauty about the personal training really is that it's um, personalised to the person so like no matter what your fitness levels are we can work with that and build it up each week and each day even and uh, go from there where a lot of people if they start especially in the new year they start and they start by themselves they probably don't know what they're doing and then either one or two things they probably either get sick of what they're doing because they have no results or they get hurt or something like that and they end up giving up usually so it's probably best to, to seek out some help 
Well. Yeah, the, the the one thing that kind of resonated with me when you were just saying it there is that personal training is very personal. So just to kind of take people through my experience when I walked into the gym, you, I told you what I was after, I told you what I was looking for, and you were able to, you said one thing to me that, that kind of stuck with me, and it was something that I've been doing as a, as a yo-yo dieter and as someone whose weight has fluctuated so much over the years, is that... The results that I'm looking for, the scales aren't gospel. And that was something that really stood out for me. I was looking to maybe kind of tone up a bit and drop muscle, but I used to always focus on, on the scales and my weight going down. And I, I was thinking dropping fat is is kind of the paramount thing that I wanted to do. But that's not so paramount when you're looking to build muscle. No, exactly. And your, your scenario is saying that like you're not... You're not anyway overweight. You lost a lot of weight, and you're in a category now where you want to just lean up a little bit, lose, like you're saying, lose a little bit of body fat and build some muscle. And go lift scenarios towards someone who wants to lose weight, where we focus more on the scales than and inches and photos and stuff like that. But your scenarios, you don't need to get any lighter on the scales. Like you're not anyway overweight. You just need if you want to tone up and lose a bit of body fat. That's that's what we're going to do. And do you notice then, because like I, I've been a gym user and a lot of people have very dif- different disciplines on what they've done working out before. So if you have someone that's coming in with a small bit of experience, do you find it's almost easier to work with somebody that doesn't have that experience because they haven't been taught or haven't picked up any bad habits? Or would you prefer someone that's coming in with a bit of experience that kind of knows what they're doing, but at the same time, you're going to have to train out their bad habits? Uh, yeah, some of bit experience is great because that person is probably a little bit, usually a little bit fitter, a little bit stronger. So their end result with their X amount of weeks of their 10 weeks or whatever they do is going to be better. If you say, well, if, if someone starts totally from fresh, that's grand. We can we can do that. Like, but it's just going to be a little bit slower, like starting them off. The first couple of weeks is going to be just kind of uh, just getting used to everything and getting used to the movements and getting the nutrition down well. You would love experience of weight loss, so when I started talking to you about food, you knew you knew kind of where I was coming from, and you you knew most of the exercises I was showing you. So that that makes it easier in a sense for yourself and myself that we can put on a little bit harder a bit sooner, if that makes sense. Uh, the, when you're saying that, I knew what you were talking about. In a, in a sense, I knew the kind of mechanisms of what it was, but I was quite. Um kind of taken back by how dynamic a lot of the workouts were and how maybe that's why I kind of wanted to touch upon bad habits that I've maybe picked up uh, I've probably focused on the likes of trying to lift heavy and and all that kind of stuff as opposed to kind of looking at different movements that I can make with my body in, in say a chest workout and a back workout different things that activate different muscles that were probably underdeveloped for quite some time because you were focusing on maybe the glamour kind of muscles Exactly, yeah. Uh, especially with men, I think they, they focus on lifting a little bit too heavy too soon in their in their training, and then kind of usually end up getting hurt or say, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not seeing any results like in in muscle growth or anything because they're probably lifting too heavy and then not lifting enough kind of sets or reps." You know what I mean? So, like you were saying, you were we did a lot of higher rep stuff this week. Um, all the rep ranges were like fifteen or twelve. And we did multiple sets on each exercise. So I think on the first day you're you're saying you're you're surprised how uh, easy you're kind of wearing out basically. But that was just the extra workload, and a lot of people kind of usually, like I was saying, usually men kind of go too heavy and only do maybe one big set and then leave it and go to the next exercise, and that's not really stimulating the muscle. It's not really getting the muscle growth that we want to get. 
Yeah, I would because I could feel that maybe the weight. I was like, I'd be well used to that weight, but after the consistent reps on it, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is a different animal altogether. Particularly in legs as well. Uh, you helped me look at my posture. Um, a lot of people would have bad posture from sitting down quite a bit, leaning forward quite a bit. So therefore, their hamstrings and their back get quite tight. So activating your legs in in in, and that's why people say don't skip leg days. It, it, it's crucial maybe to maintain in a proper body. Am I correct? Yeah, hundred percent. We just we've seen a little bit of, uh, like I was saying, a little bit of posture issues with yourself there. So it's just not major. It's just from your job, from sitting down and stuff like that. We just need to loosen you up a little bit and develop some other muscle groups rather than others. And yeah, it's just it's, it's just simple stuff, you know. But if you're not educated, you're not going to see that kind of stuff yourself, or you're not really going to see it yourself if you don't have someone on the side kind of looking in either, like you know. So. Um, yeah, all these things are critical because someone, for instance, like I say someone starts training and someone had that little bit of a posture issue like you have, and then they go in and start going heavier and heavier and heavier, and then they get hurt. Then they usually stop training because they're hurt. And say, oh, I can't do that because the gym is not for me. I end up getting hurt, but it's not doing it right. That's that's the that's the initial problem. Like, and we have a few messages in here now, Davey, for yourself. Uh, so the two messages in particular I kind of want to touch upon because um, there seems to be a few consistent elements throughout this message and a lot of it deals with motivation. Uh, so one in particular says, I struggle with motivation to go to the gym and work out on a consistent basis. How would I come about becoming more structured with my workouts? Um, the main thing is you have to really ask yourself, what are you doing it for? Basically, whatever it is, weight loss, whatever, to get fitter, to get stronger, whatever it is, and set yourself a goal. Let's say you have a weekly goal of, say, it's X amount of weight loss or X amount of a walk or a run or X amount of weight to be lifted, then have a bigger one, a monthly one, then have a six-month one. I find over the years what keeps me going all the time is <clears throat> I have competition, so I love competition in three months. I have certain things to lift this week, next week a little bit more and so on and so on. So that's the exact same thing. That aspect can be used in any sort of fitness. So basically to have a goal, you know, why you're going to the gym, why if you're tired, if you still go to the gym, is have a goal and you're working towards that goal the whole time. So if you don't have a goal, if you're just say, oh, I just want to get a little bit or whatever, you know, it's you need something kind of to say to that, right, this is my end goal, I need an end result and Another message coming in saying, "I just want to build muscle. I've progressively, I've been progressively lifting heavier weights, but I'm not getting the results I've hoped for. The last two months or so have seen very little improvement. What should I do?" Well, the number one thing is, I suppose, if if your training is going well and you're lifting heavier weights, and that's great, it's nutrition. Then you can't build muscle on fresh air, basically. So you need X amount of calories and proteins and fats, carbohydrates, stuff like that. And if you're not eating the right sorts of things, you can basically your muscle can't, you know, can't magic muscle out of uh, fresh air. So you need to you need to put in the calories. You need to put in the right types of food, right types of proteins, nutrients, nutrients. You know, that's that that's what I'd be looking towards there. Then you need to put in the right fuel to move the car, basically. There you go. Uh, Davey if people are liking what they're hearing and uh, if they want they can follow along uh, our journey the, the personal training journey over the next few weeks on scoreline.ie a blog post will go up every Sunday um, but if people are liking what they're hearing if they want to kind of put that hand out and have someone kind of pick them up and help them along through their journey help them be accountable for uh, for any kind of goal that they're setting themselves where can they get in touch? David Jones Fitness on Facebook or Instagram anyone's even 
looking for any advice or anything, even if you don't want to do personal training, just drop me a message, give me a text or a call, or whatever. You can help out whatever you want want to want to work on. If you're looking to do personal training or gym membership or anything like that, give me a shout and we can sort you out. And we'll have all the links up on that article as well on scorelink.ie. I would say I'm looking forward to next week, but I can still barely walk after our leg workout on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign. Yeah, I'm looking. No, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing our workouts uh, over the next few weeks, Davy. And uh, thanks very much for being able to take me on. And uh, we've seen the gym over there. It's in tremendous. There's a great atmosphere emanating from there. That's what. Uh, that's what I found. Um, you know, when you when you find out that you're going to go train with one of Ireland's strongest men, you're kind of a bit kind of nervous. But in fair play to you, you've been very accommodating to to myself and Vinny over there as well. And it's just a really nice, positive atmosphere emanating from the gym. So looking forward to getting stuck in again next. Week. Great train. Thanks for thanks very much. That's Davy Jones from Davy Jones Fitness. Me and Davy are embarking on an endeavour. He has to make a chicken salad out of chicken s. I I won't say the rest of that word. Telling us all about the Odlum and Lambert Cup is PL Kern. again today and a great day for the O'Toole's Club in Carlo uh, the ladies race started for the Lambert Cup uh, at uh, 12.30 and um, um, one of the favourites Bronwell McDonald was lined up with so was Emma Fury and it was a great race because Emma Fury and uh, Bronwell and um, and Melissa Broderick took it up and they ran for nearly two laps together, but then uh, Emma Fury made the break. Emma, who, who is um, ran under three hours there recently for uh, in the Dublin State of Martin, and she came home victory ahead of Bronwell, who was after winning as for three years running. But um, the, and, and to make up the team then in fourth place was uh, Geraldine Hendrickson, who, who everyone knows, and she uh, came and made up the, the quartet for St. Lawrence O'Toole's. But Lawrence O'Toole's had um, a fine team there. Um, in the men's, again, the favourite, and he didn't disappoint, was uh, James McAsee. And he went straight from the gun, and James was going for his fifth title. Um, and he was the class act of the field, but he was followed home by last year's runner-up, Trevor Corcoran, who had a battle all the way with... Um, Eamon Murphy, and Eamon Murphy, a young guy who, a few years ago, he won three All-Irelands in cross-country uh, in, in, in a row in the 16, 17 and 18 age groups, but he was in great form, and um, he came in third place, and he was followed home then by the evergreen, Brian Kerwin, who had a bad run last October, but he made up for today, and... Brian told me at the beginning of the race he was hopefully just to be on the winning team and he definitely was and following him home to make up the team would have been uh, uh, Owen Bailey and Nick Highland but at the same time the opposition on, on, on the ground was for from Tin Ryland and again they had great support in Tommy Payne who ran a brilliant race for a man of his age and he has already won um, 12 titles 13 titles in, in that race and wow. they had um, John John Dillon uh, Larry Murphy and uh, last uh, year's uh, third place was Tom Nolan and again Tommy's son was running as well and he was he was in great form but um, 
So again, the course is great. I must, I must say thanks to, uh, to Ryan and the Daddy Club for the preparation of the course. It was in splendid condition. We were lucky with, uh, with the rain. It was a bit soft in places and very mucky. But um, just to thank him and Byrne for doing MC and Joe, Joe Smithers for his, um, his uh, sound system. And then guy that we all depend on every year but on the unsung hero is, is Mark Shannon who does the lap count and then also does all the results uh, It sounded yeah. like it was a great day all around did you have uh, many in attendance and uh, how many people competed in total? Well a huge crowd in attendance and there was uh, o- uh, over about 25 in the men's race and about uh, well over 10 in, in the women's race uh, which is a big field in, in, in senior racing you know if I just want to mention away from that, we had um, we'd like to wish Emma Fury well too because uh, she slipped and and hurted her wrist and was taken away in an ambulance afterwards to uh, Watford Hospital. Uh, she was coming up for the presentation. It wasn't during the race, but she is she's in good form. But I hope she's okay. Um, the other thing I want to mention just while I'm on the air is I want to talk about in Dublin today the National Indoor League was on and one of our athletes Matthew Canlan Keenan he competes in a pole vault and today he jumped a massive 4 metres 80 and he went for 5 or 3 at 3 occasions but his aim this year is to get over 5 metres and that is a phenomenal height for anyone in Ireland but he's going the right way and he's training the right way and today was a great day for him Yes, yeah, fantastic news there. Um, in, in regards to what is coming up now on the calendar for the next few months, uh, what do you have lined up? Well, lined up now is the Leinster Cross Country is coming up in two weeks' time. And uh, in, in Carlo, uh, there's a big event coming up on the 2nd of February. That's on the Wednesdays in Carlo Horn Club, which is the South Leinster Schools Cross Country. That's usually a great day, you know. And then we'll have the Leinster Indoor Championships coming up in end of February, March, and that's a big thing for Carlo as well. Exciting times ahead. Well, PL, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us and updating us on the Odlum and Lambert Cup. We'll get an article up there on scoreline.ie, crediting the winners of it. It sounded like it was a great day. And just to say the final word, just to compliment Ali Jones, who was there today, and Ali is a good supporter of the Adam Cup, and he presents the Jones Cup to the winner, of which James McAsee got. And uh, on on today, we had previous winners, like John Blanche was there, and uh, Dennis Shannon, um, Brian Carwin, Tommy Payne, and James McAsee. We had them all there lined up in a row, and it was great for the history of the, of the Adam Cup as well. PL, it's an absolute pleasure, sir. No doubt we'll be chatting to you again very, very soon. As the Novak Djokovic debacle rumbles on, we hear from Kilkenny Tennis Club's Shirley Trimble. Hi Shane, nice to talk to you. How are you? I'm very good, I'm very good. Normally we get to chat about some of the biggest events in tennis every year, but this seems to be dominating yeah. the tennis landscape yeah. at the moment. It's, it's a story, I suppose, that's been rumbling for quite some time. There's always been a bit of lack of transparency with Djokovic and his his vaccination status with regard to COVID. And that's all, I mean, I suppose it, it's in the ether, it's in the air all the time at the moment. But it's been rumbling for a good few months whether, whether Djokovic would be allowed 
into Australia to play in the one of the four Grand Slams in the Australian Open, which is due to start tomorrow week. So it's very, you know, the, the, the timelines are fairly tight. So I suppose a bit of history on it, really. The, the rules state from, from Australia are that people must be fully vaccinated to allow entry uh, without the 14-day quarantine time to allow entry into Australia, full stop, regardless of who you are. So how did, how did this all unfold, really? On Tuesday, he released a statement on his Twitter account saying that he'd been uh, granted a medical exemption to attend and play in the, in the Australian Open. So obviously this has raised the shackles before he even arrived. He was on a flight from Dubai to Melbourne, a 14-hour flight, which has... Um, uh, and while he was on that flight, a statement was released from Melbourne to say that um, his, his visa actually did not fulfil the requirements of what was needed to enter the country. So before it even arrived, he was in trouble. So it seems to be that the medical exemption, again, it was all a bit hazy over the last few days as to why it was being allowed. But finally, it's come out that his medical exemption was the fact that he actually was diagnosed with COVID-19 in December of uh, last year, 2021, about two weeks ago. So the diagnosis of COVID is one of the one of the exemptions from from um, um, for, from the Australian Open. So that's fine. Ideally, he should be allowed to enter the country and come in and play. But um, on looking at the finer detail of it, of the rulings of it, apparently you are not allowed to re-enter into Australia unless you're an Australian citizen. So that rule does not apply to you. So he, being a Serbian, obviously a Serbian national and the world number one tennis playing champion, he is now not currently held up, as we say, in uh, uh, less than uh, what he would be used to establishment in the outskirts of Melbourne. While they await a court hearing tomorrow that's scheduled for 10 a.m. in Australian time tomorrow, which I understand is this evening in our time, and uh, it remains to be seen what the decision will be. So he's put a legal team together, Djokovic, in Melbourne, um, and It'll, it, it, it'll, I suppose, the outcome that the whole world is waiting to hear what this num- world number one, the outcome will be on whether he'll be allowed to play in the Australian Open. And what's the, bit, what's the kind of sentiment behind it? Do you think he's going to be allowed to play in it, or is oh, it kind of anyone's well, I guess? Don't know. I think it's anyone's guess at the moment. I think it, we must remember the history of him being really sort of last, was it last year or the year before? I think it was 2020 during the first lockdown. He, his, his opinion on vaccination has always been negative towards vaccination, and we're, we're aware of that, but he's never come out prior to this and said that it's stated that he he wasn't vaccinated so now we know that he, that he isn't vaccinated but um he did he's done some some strange things during covid he did run a tournament a fundraising tournament in serbia during one of the when there was really a worldwide lockdown in 2020, he ran a, a, a tournament which exposed and created became a COVID spreader at that stage, and that really really sort of put people's shackles up against him. And Novak Djokovic is a bit like Marmite, I suppose. People either love him or hate him. He's a super athlete, and the things that he's he's done for tennis and and, and the, the levels that he's achieved in terms of now he's just recently you know he's defending. He's he's going for his tenth Australian Open, which is amazing. You know, he's won it nine times. So if he does, if the 
courts allow him to play, I think there'll be no stopping him now in Australia. If he goes home, I do not know what the outcome will be for his career in general. It remains to be seen. The Serbians, I mean, with his Serbian adversity and his, his, he loves competition. He's always been so competitive. So either way, the, the, the decision tomorrow, his, his, the outcome of it will be very interesting to see. But uh, Djokovic is strong. He's robust. He'll come out fighting, you know, whatever the outcome is, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting time. It seems like it's one man against the whole Australian government, which is just, which is absolutely crazy. Um, do you think this will set a precedent for other kind of countries and sporting organisations if oh, it comes up? Yeah, it's ter- I mean, it started out with sort of a- anger from the Australians and now it's turned into, as you say, a slightly political, it's slightly political um, uh Battle, I suppose, amongst the you know between Australia and the you know the Serbians as well themselves, the Khmer and his family, and also numbers of the the Serbian government have made political statements too with regard to uh, how they feel things have been handled. That he's been very handled unjustly, but you can't. I suppose it reminds me a little bit of Golfgate as well that we had in our own in our own country. You have to have if you have rules for one, you have to have rules for all. That would be my uh, my take on it. But from from it, it seems to certainly have become. Uh, political in the last 24 hours, yes, most definitely. And also with a looming, I think there's a looming um, election coming in, Aust- in Australia from May of this year, so I think that puts another spin on it with regards to the, the Australian Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has come out. His numbers seem to be plummeting from a uh, uh, from a, uh, a popularity point of view, and he was certainly very strong in his, his, his statement if Djokovic fails to, to provide uh, sufficient evidence that he of his medical exemption, um, he will not be allowed to play. But whether he softens on that, um, time will tell tomorrow. It certainly will. Does the integrity of yeah. the competition get lost if Djokovic oh. isn't, isn't there? I hate to say it, but I think it does. I mean, him going, there's been, there's been, he, he's recently uh, level with Federer and Nadal on 20 Grand Slams. If he wins, if he were to win Australia, this one, he would go ahead as, as, as the leading Grand Slam winner in men's tennis of all history. So there's a huge amount riding on this tournament for, for him. The Australians will be delighted to see him go home and to be shipped home because, of course, they, they don't come out of it unscathed. You know, Melbourne and, and the state of Victoria are just coming out of one of it, you know, they've had some of the, the longest lockdowns in, in the whole world, really, because for various reasons. Um, so the Australians, uh, they have a whole other agenda with regard to whatever that this sport. And tennis isn't tennis isn't one of the top sports in Australia either. We must remember that too. Um, you know that the, the, there's far higher ranking sports than under. But uh, yeah, I, I hope. I, I, either way, whoever gets him in the first round, if he is allowed to play, uh, God bless him. Is what I'd say. But uh, it'll be really interesting to see what. We, See what story unfolds in the next 24 hours. I can attest to it that cricket is probably like hurling over there to exactly. Australian folk. Yeah, uh, folk. Yeah, um, yeah. And the Aussie rules. Yeah, getting getting away yeah. from Djokovic. How do you how do you find uh, or who do you would you have uh, as far well, coming into this? Yeah, I think Medvedev is. I mean, he, he's 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 seated number two coming into it, and he beat Djokovic in, in the final of the U.S. Open. So Medvedev is if Djokovic is going home with his tail between his legs, Medvedev has a real chance to. to win another Grand Slam and Nadal is also in the running too as well and 
Verev and Tsitsipas, who was in the final last year, the Greek, he's very popular in Australia. So I would, you know, fancy Tsitsipas as well, I'd say, but it'd be hard to get past Medvedev if Djokovic goes home. Um, Federer is missing. He's an absent, a noted absentee, as is Zabrenka, another Swiss guy. It's a shame that they're missing. But yeah, I have to say, on the men's side, I'd be looking at either Medvedev or Tsitsipas. And Ash Barty, who is the homegrown... Um, Ladies player, she's ranked number one in the world. I'd love to see her. Always love to see someone win at home as well. Um, Naomi Osaka, who would be defending her, her the win from last year, she unfortunately pulled out injured, I think, with an abdominal injury. And um, Emma Raducanu, the, the, the British player, it'd be her first Australian Open, so it'd be interesting to see how she does. There's a couple of others in the long grass as well. I, I, I fancy the Polish girl, Siatek. She's ranked number nine. She'd be one to watch most definitely. Um, and Sabalenka from Belarus, she's ranked number two. And Muguruza from Spain, ranked number three. They're all the names that I'd be, I'd be looking at for on the on the ladies' side. How is it all looking now from a local side of things? Were you out on the course yeah. today? Yeah, no, I wasn't playing today. I have a match tomorrow night. Um, there, there's a winter league on at the moment, a mixed doubles winter league, so that will play out and curl. I think the middle or the end of January, end of January, I think, is the, all going well with COVID that we'll be able to complete it. Um, but it's, as I've said to you before, the tennis being outdoors and being, it lends itself to social distancing. And uh, we, yes, yeah, so there's plenty of tennis being played up at the moment with the, with the winter league that's, that's happening at the moment. We also heard from Carlo GAA referee advisor Pat Kyo on helping new referees. I was after 22 years Shane refereeing it. It wasn't an easy decision. But look, at I suppose between age and injuries and COVID and wanting another, I, just, it was, I felt it's the right time to just leave, you know. And, and over the years, like you mentioned 22 years uh, as a ref, have you noticed uh, the game changing kind of before your eyes, uh, maybe fitness levels rising? I remember we were talking to Adrian Ronnie Ronan there and he was talking about back in the 90s, he, you might get a Jaffa cake or something for your nutrition at half time, but you know, it's, it's all kind of changed now. Have you been able to see the game evolve before your eyes when you're out on the pitch? It's massively changed, Shane. The, the speed of the players, like they're nearly they're nearly professionals now. A lot of these amateur guys, they give so much time, and three and four nights a week all through the winter they're training. It's amazing what they put in, you know. And uh, once you called it a day, when did uh, Carlo GEA chairman Jim Bulger get in touch with you about being advisor to those uh, new referees? Was it something that you might might have given much thought to uh, when you accepted the role? Well, I had done a little, I dabbled a little in at Leinster club level, uh, Shane, at, 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 at assessments. And uh, when Jim rang, like, I, I thought I'd give something back to, to the, after all my years of the, the, what they gave me and Carlos. So I look at, that's only a small token, myself and Pat Ahern and John Dunphy have decided to go and just check and look at these referee, young referees and just give them guidance. That's all. It's not a, it's not a, a beating up exercise, Ran. It's just to try and guide them and, like any young referee needs guidance, and I know that for myself through refereeing through the years. You'd look to talk to someone when you go home at night time about making a mistake in the game, and I, my, uh, that time was Pat Hearn. So I'd like if they could contact us after the games and we could talk through them. And, you know, it's not easy out there. You know that yourself for refereeing a match. And what then, you kind of touched upon it there, but what, like, is the the overall sense uh, that you're hoping to achieve within the role? Are you looking to see more Carlo GES represented at Crow Park, say, in, in uh, All-Ireland finals and, and things like that? 
Look, Shane, when you look back on it, Cara referees at, at, at national level, we've talked some of the top hurling referees, GGA football referees, and at ladies football, we've top referees. So look, at Cara's well up there with the, with the best in the country at the moment. And how important is it to make the path to becoming a referee then as comfortable as possible when you consider the people that have came before and you're looking at a new generation, you're looking at wide-eyed people that are coming into the game when, indeed, referees, although always been scrutinised, are now almost under a, a, a microscope with the, the likes of the Sunday game choosing to kind of give out about referees more than an, an, a, a, analyse the game, and you certainly see it in other sports as well. So um, how important is to make that path for a referee be as comfortable as possible who are coming into it. It's not easy now, you know. There's so many changing rules, Shane, and the mark and Monty and another. And these guys in the Sunday game, they can sit down and analyse after for hours on on a video. Uh, as a referee, you've a split second to make a decision on the field of play, and uh, you know it's it's not easy. It's not easy game out there, but it, you know we're trying to make it. We're trying to make it as easy as we can for the youngers coming through and just go and see what. Then just pass out an hour. Uh, experience to these guys coming up, boys and girls coming through, you know, and that's all we're trying to do is just encourage encourage them all along to keep them at it, you know. Uh, and with that in mind then, the initiative that Carol GA have brought in is kind of like B-Sound, um, you don't need to have your voice always heard on the sideline if you're there as a, uh, as a fan or as a punter, and of course that extends to kind of underage games and giving out to young players and kind of ruining confidence, but also extends to, to referees. So how important is initiatives like that? It's very, very important. Carlo are really driving this forward, Ronan Dempsey and the guys inside in Carlo are really pushing it forward. And hopefully it'll, it'll bear fruits in, in time to in years to come. You know, because it's, at the end of the day, Shane, these kids go to play games. That's all they want to play is football or hurling or camogie, whatever it is. They want to enjoy the game. They don't want to be seeing referees and, and supporters that have longer heads. They want to play the game and enjoy it. And that's what sport is all about, Shane, is enjoyment. It certainly is, and how how can people then enjoy being a ref? There, what what's the pathway involved in in becoming a ref within GEA? I, I remember starting myself, and and you know it evolves. You just but slowly, slowly, and slowly, small footsteps at a time, and just bring them along through the different grades and through the juvenile grades. And you know, this is where we if we could get a chance now when when we're on air, just to, those retiring players now will let to be from Camogie, ladies football, men's game. If they were just some of those guys to come in and just start up at juvenile under tens, under twelves, nice and easy, and we take them along and nice and cool. And if it's not for them, well, it's not for them. But look at, let's give it a chance and see how it can go. Do you think then they like? Considering former players coming into it, you know Dennis Murphy recently retired and and things like that. Uh, we spoke to John Mulhall, former Kilkenny ankle Deher, who's refing now currently at uh, club level. Do you think he gives him a new perspective on uh, on the game as a whole? Um, well, I think I think a lot of these guys want to be still involved at GA level, uh, or Shane, and uh, this would be a great chance for them. Like if they could even do those goal games and start in at the goal games and have their uh, during the summer the the, the, the coach the games. And, and just take it from there and see how it goes and slowly but surely they'll, they'll get confidence and and you'd be surprised where they'd lead them to, you know? Uh, where does, if you're talking about the journey leading somewhere, so where does someone get started? Is it just a matter of getting onto your club official? Do you need to get onto Carlo GEA? How, what's the pathway like when you're taking your first steps? It's contact our club secretaries at start and they contact the county board and we will the county board then get in contact with them and we'll start them from there, and and we we'll get them kitted out and get them trained up and like we get in good we get a good trainee 
from, from Leinster Council. They, they, they come down and advise them and they coach them. And, you know, and, and it all starts from there. That's where it all starts from. Just get in touch with our club, uh, club secretaries, and let them get involved in or even the county board. Let it be Cushion and Oak, the, the, the Camogie board, ladies football. You know, just anyone. Just If you're interested, just we'll, we'll make contact with you, you know. Um, you've refereed now in the LGFA, also including the 2012 uh, All Ireland Final Intermediate. Uh, do you think that experience is quite unique compared to other referees? Uh, can be of, and it can be that uniqueness can be of great use. Uh, it's great experience, Sean or Shane. There's no doubt about that. Uh, that 2013 Ladies Final in Croke Park. Like I've often travelled to Croke Park and watched matches, but I never dreamt that someday that I'd often get out in Croke Park and referee an All-Ireland final and that was a dream. That's their dreams, Shane. You know, they come true. And then I got a lovely trip to America in Cleveland the following year. So, you know, there is perks there for your lads if they want to go that far, you know. So would referees have highlights then in their career as well, considering a lot of players would say that you can't beat a county final? Is that the same for refs? Well, Shane, I've always stated, and I always will state that your own your own county is the, is the pinnacle of any referee's career. The senior footballer, it be an under fourteen game or final, and they're great honours in your own county. And you always go back to your own county. That's the highlight of my career. Is my in within my own county, you know. And and speaking of county finals, as a Rathvilly man as well, how special was it to see Rathvilly win that county championship? Look, Shane, we're, we're road clubs love this win. You know, you're win club championships, senior championships like that. It was great. And look, at on the day we had, we had a bit of luck, one great save near the end that could have changed the whole game. But on the day, our lads played really well, and they fully deserved a victory. Uh, well, yeah, we've kind of talked a, a tad bit about it, but uh, going up there uh, in the Leinsters as well, it probably wasn't the best of times for him, but it kind of has harping back to what we said. You can't really beat the county final. That was the pinnacle for Rathvilly last season. But our, our lads, I think, uh, the following well, the following weekend, and I think between COVID and one to another, we're short. I think four players or five players on the day. Which, like a club with ours, we, we haven't that big a panel, and uh, to miss those four guys on that day, it was just short notice. It, it, it didn't, you know, start true reflection on their on their ability, you know. And uh, like you've probably seen Pat Rain uh, up close and personally, you've seen the stuff that he he's been doing. How integral was he to the success this year? But bringing in different dynamics, possibly we've harped on about his boxing kind of history as well. Bringing in that kind of fitness levels, raising them for all the players, you know, must have been crucial. Yeah, yeah Pat behind a lot of discipline, and like from the feedback we got, he he's great time for the younger players. He's time to talk to them and encourage them and. Which is, you know, all these young players need it. They might be good at at minor level and under twenty one level, but it's a big step to senior, and, and they need all the encouragement to get. And I think he was the right man, the, the right man in the right place. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you, Pat. Uh, once again, if people want to get involved in refereeing, uh, where do they start their journey? Like this is a great chance. We will encourage any girls or boys or anyone that's coming that has retired now from the game. Just contact the county board or contact their their their, their secretary and look at. We started off at a small level and see how they go. And if they don't, if it's not for them, it's not for them. But look at we're so short out there at the moment, Shane. That every everyone is rolling out for referees. Where we, especially in Carlow, we're very short at the moment, and we could do with more recruits. 
Uh, lots of games happening as well all the time and it's fantastic to see but those games need uh, officials they need referees to make it an actual game so hopefully we'll be able to get a few more in the doors from this interview um, Pat it's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you uh, a lot of people I got a message in there saying uh, tell them thanks for his service for the past 22 years so um, a nice message in for you there Pat but hopefully you have a great weekend anyway and your role in helping guide up and coming new GEA referees is nothing but a tremendous success. Thanks for being here, Shane, and to yourselves and KCLR and all. And you know, on the Brendan there, we listened to the match there just before you come in with uh, Moonkine and that. Uh, like you bring it, you bring it to our doorstep, but we can't go there. And uh, uh, you're doing fantastic work, and, and we we can't thank you enough. Oh, thank you very much, Pat. Robbie has a tear in his eye as we speak, but I really appreciate the nice words. Hopefully, you have a great weekend, sir. Thanks a million, Shane. All the best. Thank you, Pat Q. On his new role, helping guide up and coming referees. Pleasure getting to speak to the man that has dedicated so much of his life to a part of the GEA world not many get to experience. And lastly, we heard from Carlo Kilkenny under 17 manager Fran Egan on the open training session they held on Sunday. Yeah, with great interest. Yeah, we're delighted with the interest. Um, we actually, what we had to do was, um, I suppose, with COVID rules and things like that, we're all still in that times. We um, we just invite only for tomorrow. So we have um, 30 girls coming in tomorrow between the two squads. And uh, we're going to run it as a, a training session come a, a, a friendly game at the end of between everyone. So we're trying to keep the numbers down a little just to be conscious of even our B team, uh, even our um, under-17 manager is con- close contact for tomorrow, so he'll be missing. Um, previously, before Christmas, we had another day set up to do it and became COVID-related as well, so we cancelled it. So tomorrow is uh, the start of the season. It's such to get the two squads up and running, get the, the two squads formed and, and start pre-season training before the March is uh, the deadline for the start of the season, I suppose. So it won't be long coming around either then, you know. Yeah, incredibly disappointing that the the trials that were scheduled for uh, the 20th of December had to be called up. But due to the nature that we are in, uh, uh, that's that's more than uh, uh, kind of uh, forgivable. Uh, We know that the under-17s men's trials got to go ahead, I believe, uh, just a week before that as well. Yeah, no, they did. uh, Lads had great numbers now with... um, Savage management team in there in place now this year. We're delighted now. Club boys are delighted with the, the three lads coming in and the people they have under them as well. So that big response, big numbers there now. And I think they've more or less finalised their squads. They've a friendly organised in a couple of weeks' time. So we're delighted with the, the set up there. So what's what's uh, in line for the season now is. Uh, we're kind of uh, hoping for big things from them, but we won't put any pressure on them for their first year. But uh, <laughs> yeah, look, and the 14s then have um, been delayed. They're going to be allowed to do their Kendi Cup um, and then come in then and start the, the under 14 National League. is going to start later on in the year. So it gives all the lads a chance to play their Kendi Cups. Same as well for the girls that they're entitled to play their, their Gainer Cups and then they're free agents that they can come in and we have a slot then for them to transfer into the 17s at that stage then if they want as well. So it's kind of all coming in line a bit more than it used to be, you know. And I think what uh, you have, is is it five clubs now that are five teams that are are going to be entering competitions next season? That's it. The club's getting bigger and bigger the whole time, yeah. Yeah, even 
even our under-19 girls squad wasn't really only meant to start this season, but with the demand of the girls and the girls who were missing last year, we formed the under-19 squad last season. So we're a year ahead of ourselves with them. And um, like we'll be hoping now, strongly plans to get a women's national league team in line for next season after this season. So we'll be hoping if we can get everything in place and everything sorted out financially and license-wise that we'd have um, National League women's back in Kilkenny again that'd be, for the following season. That'd be absolutely amazing because, like, from our perspective, kind of watching, watching the Women's National League final, you had P-Mount, of course, with Kilkenny's Karen Duggan, you had Wexford with Carlos Lauren, uh, Dwyer, Kylie Murphy, and then, of course, yeah. Kilkenny's Ellen Malloy uh, just yeah. playing their trade yeah. for two top clubs in the Women's National League, but yeah. kind of your mind ponders if there was a Kilkenny FC, Carlo Kilkenny FC, in there, you know, would they be playing there? That's it. Like, there's more than them girls too around the playing for other teams as well. But like, even the demand, you know, the be hoping the likes of Lolly and your your sisters and all of you eligible to play again. You know what I mean? So there'll be, uh, you know, the likes of them could finish off a season if they want to with Kilkenny on a Kilkenny jersey and start playing for their counties again. You know, so. Yeah, we'd be looking, we'd be hoping um, get everything in place and it's not going to be easy, but at the same time we're progressing with the under-19s like for the game, same thing again, the girls are going to be over age where did they go, so you have to have some some future farm in the club and to step on and stay with us and keep playing football locally, you know yeah, even like from our perspective, we sponsored the the women's shield in Carlow. It was the scoreline shield, and it was yeah. at the final, Mill Celtic yeah. versus New Park. And just seeing the talent right. on display there for yeah. the two teams, yeah. uh, Jenny That's Clifford, it. obviously a, a previous Irish international, uh, yeah. just uh, and a tremendous finish over for New Park's second goal. They're just the talent is there, so uh, it, it's it's re- it's really uh, heartening to see that something is happening from the ground up, and you could see the swell of uh, support over the past uh, few years for. Carlow yeah. Kenny FC and seeing the support will be there it's a, it's incredibly uh, it, 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 there's a lot of hope and a lot of good sentiment yeah. in the air yeah and, and like we're we're a young club as well it's it's not easy and we're trying to do things right you know what I mean we'll make mistakes along the way but we'd be hoping that there'll be a good foundation in place and you know like the, there's other clubs gone before us that fail but we have a good strong base now with the two squads come feeding in and like I said you need somewhere for them to go then so naturally enough you'll be hoping to have the women's national league team and so that, like there's a big influx into you know big finance you see with Skype with the, the Irish team and that now like girls football has grown immensely in the country you know and uh, you'd be even in Kilkenny our own leagues now all our underage leagues with massive numbers of teams and girls participating in, in playing soccer now so you know there is there is a basis there for to do well in a national league set up you know what I mean so we'd be hoping anyway that, that'd be our plan for the club going forward you know and uh, coming like the kind of the hope that there will be a women's national league there's no doubt uh, people that are calling for uh, a men's side to enter some type of division now we know that there's been touted possibly a third division uh, that's going to happen or with the nine teams entering the first division because of the yeah. Bray and Cabinteely merger, there was calls for a Carlisle Kilkenny FC to step up. But the financial implications of something like that is huge. So it's, it's it, massive. Yeah. Yeah. So massive. you've been quite um, diligent as well, which has been evident throughout your journey. 
Yeah, we, we, we don't want to be jumping ahead and, and just be uh, running the middle last for a year or two and be gone again. You know what I mean? Like, we're trying to build a base that uh, is substantially there. Like, like say, like our neighbours, Wexer started from nothing too, you know, one one club that started like everyone else and see where they are. You know, like 10 years down the road, we hope to be still talking that we're involved and we're, we've, we've won cups of, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's going to take time. It's not going to be happened overnight. We're, we're conscious of that and we're working towards trying to do things right and have a base that you have something underneath you and not just you know, struggling the whole time to field, field teams or... or you know, even financially to keep going, you know. So even on in, in that, with the five teams this year now, we're doing well financially and the support and help coming there. But, like, if we had a women's team, we'd be looking for a local sponsor or some sponsor as well, maybe to come on board that had an interest in doing what we're trying to do with and and start something in Kilkenny that will stay for a while, you know what I mean? Uh, talking about tomorrow, tremendous facilities in Collection. Uh, we were talking to Ollie Brennan there last week. We know that they're all striving for their coaching badges there. I think he's after getting the C license. Um, the, the the pitch there is tremendous. The FAI club mark. You're going to have a session there now tomorrow. What can the thirty girls that are showing up expect, and what can they do to be able to stand out? Well, so we 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 kind of gone away from the, the the idea of trials because, like anyone, you come in, it's like a job interview. Really, you, you'd be nervous enough. So, we turn it into more of a training session and get to know the girls. Get they get to know everyone else. More relaxed atmosphere, and um, go through what a training session would be a League of Ireland standard. It is a bit more of a standard fitness wise. Now they're going to come in pre season, so we're not going to be expecting them to be up to match speed tomorrow or anything like that. And they need to think it themselves. But um, it's basically go through drills and what we will be doing is training and doing a bit of shape work and at the end then playing 11v11 and uh, playing them in their positions that they've already um, registered to play in. They've given us two positions that they prefer to play in. So our two teams are picked with them playing in them positions and uh, just relax, play their football, enjoy their football. We're all about development, so we're not going to be expecting miracles out of anyone tomorrow. Um, so if everyone came in nice and relaxed did their best and that's all we can ask um, Is it all predominantly people from Kilkenny and Carlow area or are you going outside the county have anybody travelling down from anywhere else? Uh, no you'd be surprised now we have people um, there's a girl comes from Tipperary there there's Acuey we have two girls believe it come up from Cork and um, wow. played for us last year under 17s yeah and uh, there's big commitment now. It's two hours drive up and down. You know what I mean? And uh, she came into us. We we signed her pre-season last year because of no trades with the COVID. And uh, she was after applying, and she um, she's coming back tomorrow as well. We have a couple of girls from Tipperary there as well. We have some girls from Wexford, Carla Kilkenny. Good majority of the girls as well, Carla Kilkenny. Um, that be the spread. There's a girl from Kildare there. So we kind of. You know, it's not predominantly Carlo Kilkenny, but you would be catching uh, your surrounding areas as well, you know. And that's all for this edition of Scoreline Extra. You can read about these stories and more across the week on scoreline.ie. And of course, you can catch the live show every Saturday and Sunday from 2pm. That's all for now. We'll chat to you soon.